We are in John 3 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, get there some way, some form. John chapter 3, continuing into the life of Jesus this morning. This passage this morning, this story made the top 10 easily because this is the story of all stories. This is the one that we base a lot of truth on. This, if we don't get this story right, (laughs) we miss the entire gospel. Uh, This is a crucial story and one that I I, I almost have a lot of fear in preaching this one because I want to get this one right. Um, This one is one that is important uh, to those who um, maybe are on the outside of Christianity and I'm not really sure I trust it. Yeah, I'll go to church. Yeah, I'll do the right things. But but I don't know if I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And this is just as important for those who are in Jesus Christ Uh, to remind ourselves of what we truly have this morning. And so I'm hopeful this morning that you're able to join us in that. And uh, just a special note as well, um, this morning I'm hoping this not only impacts us as a congregation, but specifically, if you're in middle school today, uh, do me a favor. Um, We don't often look at you guys like, you know, that you're in the room, but we want to know that you're in the room, all right? So middle schoolers, do me a favor, stand up on your chairs. This is cool to do in church. It's fine. Uh, We want to see you guys. We want to know that you're in here, right? This is the only time you're going to get to do this in a school building. This is awesome, all right? So just just do that, right? Look at that. That's cool. It's cool, cool. Hey, we're glad you're here, all right? We're, we're excited you're here. Thanks for being in service. You can have a seat now. Don't throw chairs. It's bad. We're excited you're here this morning, and I want you to hear this as well for you, that this story is just as important to you as it is your grown adults who are really old and don't know anything like me, okay? So this is important, and I want you guys to get this this morning. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray because I need prayer over this, and then we're going to go after this thing, okay? So John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Enter theological verse problem, okay? Uh, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. We do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you, interesting, mark this down, we'll come to this later. This you is a plural you. So you can read it as bear witness to what you have seen. But you all, y'all do not receive our testimony. For if I told y'all earthly things, then yuns and all you do not believe. How can you all believe if I do not tell all of you all heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from the heaven, the son of man. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let me pray. Father, this is an important passage to us all. This is an important beginning for a lot of us who have put our faith into you. 
And this is the story that turns the tide for those who maybe have not put their faith into you. This reminds us of what it takes to be saved. This reminds us of the importance of being saved. And so this morning as we talk about this idea of being born again, God, my prayer and my hope is that um, your Holy Spirit would work, um, that you would talk to us, that you would meet us in your, in your word, and you would change us today. Maybe forever you would change us. Um, but may it be a reminder to us of your goodness as well today. Um, give it wisdom. God, if there's things that don't need to be shared, would you cut them out? If there's things that need to be spoken, would they be loud and, and clear uh, to us this morning? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Here's a big thing out of John 3. Jesus wants it all. He is not an add-on to your life. He is not like your monthly subscriptions that you forgot you had. You know, though you get the bill and you're like, oh man, when did we start paying for Spotify? When did we get Disney Plus? That's not coming out yet, but it is coming. Okay, and I, I, when, did we, when, did, when did this occur? And it's just kind of this add-on. We don't think about it. Jesus says, I want to be more than just an add-on in your life. And he has this conversation in a way with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And we're just going to go verse by verse through this and learn some things as we go. So verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus, his name means victory over people. That's fun, right? And so he knew that. Uh, It's kind of a name he probably took a lot of pride in. Look at me. I am over you. And he is part of a um, big group called the Sanhedrin. And we're going to see that in just a second. But he says, a ruler of the Jews. We know from his name that he was probably, it says, a Greek name and not a Jewish name. And so we don't really know where that lands. But it's kind of an interesting point. But here's the key I want us to, to get some context in this morning before we jump into this story, because I think you need to know the context of, of Nicodemus before we get to the truth of it, because it's important. So when it says a ruler of the Jews, right, what does that mean, right? We don't normally know what that is or talk about that much. Basically, as a ruler of the Jews, it meant that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And you're like, cool, Joel, that's great. What in the world is a Sanhedrin? A Sanhedrin was a large council of people that ruled over the Jewish people themselves. So there was the Roman government, and then there was the Jewish people, and the Sanhedrin was responsible to rule over just the Jewish people, okay? So they were authorized by Rome to to rule, keep order over the Jewish people. So Sanhedrin traces all the way back to Moses, although it was not like that one then of Numbers 11, because in the original Sanhedrin, there were 70 members in the original Sanhedrin that governed Israel and helped Moses. This version adopted later uh, is the version that had 71 members and included a key people within the Sanhedrin. So if you were in the Sanhedrin, you were either a scribe. What's a scribe? A scribe was a lawyer. Uh, they, knew, they knew the law inside and out. They had to pass the bar. They did the whole thing, right? They were the ones that knew the law, the Old Testament inside and out, and could explain every nuance of the law. So when he talks about what you shouldn't eat, like cloved and hooved animals, they would explain all the cloved and hooved animals to you by law and tell you exactly what you could and couldn't do. So that was the scribes. They were part of this. There was the influential priestly families. That's fun, right? So they got to be in it because of who they knew. So you think, wow, thousands of years and politics is still politics, right? Because if you knew the right people, then you were in the sand. If your family was the Kennedys, then you had an issue. You you could just do whatever you wanted, perhaps. Just random, okay? And so these were the priestly families that were just kind of had influence, and so they were part of the Sanhedrin. And then another part of the Sanhedrin was any retired high priest. So the high priest ruled over the entire Sanhedrin. So think Speaker of the House, right? They they ruled over the, the, the Sanhedrin. And as they retired, they could join in. Now, you don't know this world, but in church world, when you have retired pastors that want to join your board, 
sometimes it's not the most beneficial, okay? Because they, they think they're going to be a help, but oftentimes they're not because they're stuck in their ways and they just want the way things were. And, and you try to make decisions and they're like, no, we've never done that way before. Imagine all of those retired priests, high priests are now part of the Sanhedrin and those are this large governing body that was holier than holy and they were the ones that were responsible for a couple of things. Now, there was a rotating head of the Sanhedrin that was the high priest. He was like, kind of like I said, the house speaker of this organization. And the Sanhedrin was under the Roman control and governed over, here's what they were in charge of. So the Roman government said, you can be in charge of civil matters. Like if your donkey goes on somebody else's property again, and they're like, get your donkey off my property. I'm going to sue you. That kind of stuff happened all the time. Okay. So they were part of the civil matters. They were also part of criminal matters. If something criminal happened underneath their watch, they could react to that. They were also then over religious matters. They were over all of the synagogues and they ran the synagogues. That's interesting, right? And so when Jesus probably came into town and was in synagogues, it probably put them into a little bit of fits. They were limited by the Rome, though, in carrying out capital punishment. You'll see that later in the cross and things like that. When Christ is, is sentenced to death, he, they're not able to actually do it without Roman permission. And so they couldn't do any kind of capital punishment as a result of these things. But they were authorized to make arrests. And so that's later, you'll see that in Jesus' life as well. They were also authorized to conduct trials and hold people in these trials for long periods of time. And this lasted until Jerusalem's temple was destroyed in AD 70. So all of that to say, why are we learning about the Sanhedrin? We're learning about the Sanhedrin because it's important that Nicodemus came from that. And Nicodemus had control and power and could enslave or could, not enslave, but could take Jesus to trial, could hold him in in power. And so he knew this. Jesus knew who he was talking to. This was not just this guy who was in church and was really popular in this church, this was one of the key high people in the Sanhedrin that had power and influence. So in our day and age, you think those that are high in power in government who have control over some area, and they knew who this person was. So this person would be all over the news. Everybody knew this person's name. And so because of this, He's curious about Jesus, and he comes to Jesus at night. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He comes to him at night because he doesn't want to be seen, right? He comes to Jesus at night because he realizes what's at stake politically possibly for him to come to Jesus and be seen with this guy who's causing this uproar in Jerusalem. So he comes to Jesus by night, and he says, Rabbi, that's important. He says, I address you as an official teacher. I give you some props. You're, 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 you're doing a good thing here. But it's also a little condescending as well because he's coming into Jesus and saying, hey, you're a really good rabbi. And Jesus kind of is kind of soaking it in and you'll see his reaction in here in just a second. So he comes to him at night. He says, rabbi, you're doing these great signs. God must be with you. Kind of complimentary, kind of figuring things out. Jesus answered him. Highlight circle the word answered. Did you see a question in here? (laughs) There's no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, he goes back, I'm sorry. He goes in and he says, hey, you you must be this guy who does these signs for you do these unless God is with him. There's there's no question. But Jesus knows. You ever have that conversation with somebody who just cuts to the heart of your conversation? (laughs) And they just like dive right in. You're like, okay, I guess we're going there. Like, tell me about your problem. Tell me about why you cheated. All this whole thing. Like, there's like, whoa, I was just trying to peel the onion and you're like coming in all hot. Like, what are you doing? And he does. He comes in very hot because he comes in and he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now you're like, what does that mean? He didn't come in really, truly, truly. Who says that anymore? Nobody. But Jesus brought this in and Jesus was saying these things. And this truly, truly was actually 
geek out on you. This is actually a John term. John uses truly, truly a lot in his writing. Truly, truly was kind of like, in our world, it would be the equivalent of all caps or the obnoxious exclamation marks that you send, like three or four on a text, and you're like, okay, I get it. You just need one in a punctuation for it to matter. The other two are just useless. I get it, but it's trying to get a point across. That's what he's saying. Truly, truly, when you see these, it's like Jesus is coming in hot. He is coming in saying, all caps, explanation point, this is important. Truly, truly can be translated amen and amen. Most often convey hard reality, most often used as a strong rebuke or a strong correction. (laughs) So Nicodemus is coming in all nice. Hey, rabbi, you're really cool because you do these signs. I really appreciate all you do. Jesus is like, stop. Just stop. And he's like, let me just tell you what we're doing with here. Unless you were born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, I, I didn't even ask the question. Jesus is going to give three of these. Three of these explanation marks. Three of these huge moments. One, hey, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That's his first hey. Um, it, you could use hey, you could use old term yo, whatever, whatever works. Getting your attention. Big explanation points. Hey, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom. Number one. Number two, hey, you have to be born of water and of spirit. And the last one he uses is, hey, you're not smart enough to understand God's business. (laughs) Three big offenses to the teacher of Israel, and only Jesus rolls like this. This is so good. So let's start with the first one. Hey, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom. Born again to enter the kingdom. Okay, let me process that. I have to be born again. So you're saying, and in his sarcasm and in his probably knowledge, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Ew, no, no, that's not how it works. Nor should any of that pop into your heads. It's just, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. And he's trying to be, I think, probably just poking at Jesus, like, that's so gross and weird. That doesn't happen to do that. And he says, no, that's not going to happen. That was dumb. That's impossible. That's not what I'm talking about here. And so the first thing he says is he starts to attack this idea of kingdom in his mind. And he starts to attack this idea of you have to be born again to enter this kingdom. Birth is important. He says, you have to be part of this. Because in the Jewish mind, to enter the kingdom, all you had to do was have the Jewish blood in you, and then you could enter into the kingdom. If you were of Abraham's seed, if you were part of Abraham's descent, you could be entering into the kingdom because of the blood that is flowing through your veins. And so he's attacking that first and foremost and saying, that isn't it. You have to be born again. Abraham's useless here. This is something new. Number two, you have to be born of water and spirit. Jesus answered, truly, truly, hey, I'm saying to you, unless you're born of water and spirit, it's not going to work. Like just in his face at night. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, if you've been in church world long enough, you know this passage is debated a lot. Uh, Let me just give you three options here of where we talk about with water and spirit. So just side note, have you ever, when you read this passage, when I just first read it again, I just realized how confusing this would be to be on the outside watching this conversation happen, wouldn't it? Like you're talking about this guy talking about being born again and entering back into a womb. That's weird. And then he says, you got to be born of water and spirit, man. And you're kind of like, what is happening in this conversation over here? What does he mean, water and spirit? Some believe this means human birth and then spiritual birth. 
okay? That the water is the, the equivalent of uh, the fluid that we are born into in our mother's womb, and then therefore that's the water, and then the, the, the spiritual is the spiritual birth. He says you got to be born of water and then of spirit, and there's this thing of, is it both things? It's kind of like a biology lesson happening here. I don't tend to land on that one, um, but that's one option that many believe what Christ is saying. The other one is this, and this is the baptism and spiritual birth is what he's talking about. This is uh, in the Catholic Church as well as in what's called the Christian Church at times. They point to this for saying that you have to be baptized to be saved. It's Jesus plus baptism that equals salvation here. And so they would say, he's talking about John, he's talking about baptism, and therefore they would translate that over into the rest part of the New Testament. They'd say you have to be baptized to be saved. Water is that, and the Spirit is this. Another version of water and baptism is that it's just after John's baptism, and so they would say, well, maybe this is because it's the repentance factor, and so you need to repent, and then there's a, there's a birth and, and that kind of thing. That, that's another one. Let me tell you where I land on this, and I think this is maybe where John was wanting us to go, and I think this would make more sense to Nicodemus himself being a Jewish scholar. I think this one would make more sense. I don't think it's two actions. I don't think it's you need to be born here and then born here. Like they're separate things. Like step one, human birth. Step two, spiritual birth. Step one, baptism. Step two, conversion. I believe he's saying this is, this is all one big spiritual birth. And this is linked together somehow, some way. So where are we going with this? So here's the thing. We talked about how the Sanhedrin or those who are Jewish said that you have to be born of Abraham's seed to be part of the faith. He's basically coming at this and saying, that's not the way this works anymore. And I believe that Jesus is going to go back to the Old Testament prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And I think he's trying to get Nicodemus in his studies of the Old Testament to go back to the New Old Testament and say, this is about something bigger. This is about Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 5 and 6. He says this in Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This was a prophecy thousands of years earlier by the prophet of Ezekiel given by God himself that says there will come a day when Christ to come, the Messiah will come and put in a new spirit and a new heart into people. And I believe Jesus is pointing back to that reference for Nicodemus to say, hey, Nicodemus, remember with the prophecy of old? I am that prophecy of old. And he said back then, you have to be born of water and of spirit. This is about a transformation of our hearts. He says later in Ezekiel 37, uh, I'm sorry, that was Ezekiel 25 and 27. This is 5 and 6 of 37. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and, you will, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Jesus is pointing back to prophecy and saying, just this idea of flesh is important. He says, you must be born of flesh is flesh, born of spirit is spirit. This is me. I'm coming in flesh. I'm coming in spirit. And I am the way of salvation and me alone. And he even goes back to the idea of breath. As we pick up in verse 7, he draws even more out of Ezekiel. And this is why I think this is what he's talking about. In verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He says, don't, don't be worried about this whole thing of being born again, because here's the deal. 
this is a new breath that is coming upon you. It's a word play here. He's using the word pneuma, and this word pneuma is kind of put in both wind. It's the same word used for wind as you use for spirit. So you would read it as this. The pneuma blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from. So it is with everyone born of the pneuma. And he's like, what? There is a spirit, a Holy Spirit that's going to come, and those who put their faith in Jesus are indwelt with this Holy Spirit. And he is mysterious, and he does what he wishes, and he, do, and he comes and he goes, and there's this whole thing that comes into the play here, and he says, this is what's happening before your very eyes. The words of Ezekiel are coming to life. The words of Ezekiel are true in me as I've come here. I am the way of salvation. To which Nicodemus responds, as all of us should be responding right now, because I just dumped a lot of theology on you. Nicodemus' response is probably what you're saying. How can these things be? How is that possible? I don't understand. Born again, breath, spirit, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what you're saying. To which Jesus responds. You would think he'd be like, let me, let me walk you through it. Let me kind of just take your hand. Let's go through this. Jesus responds. You're not smart enough to understand God's business. That's so not nice. <laughs> hey, you're not smart enough to get this. How do I know this? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Ouch. That was a slam. Okay, that was a burn. That was throwing shade. Okay, that was him being mean to him. Oh, look at that. Just picked up my text. That was fun. Okay, um, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There's so much in there, but let me just give you this. He's basically telling him, if you can't get this understanding, it's because you don't have me. If you don't understand it, it's because I, I'm not your savior. I'm just a rabbi. Let me, let me give you proof of this. There have been so many of you, even this, in this room, that you, you've come to church and you just made church part of your team, even before you accepted Jesus. When we first started, there was many of you that just kind of came to church because I like the people here. There's a good vibe. I like the relationships. I feel comfortable here. That's good. I like it. And then I would open up the scriptures, and you'd start to read them, and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, it just makes no sense to me what you're saying. And then you've, you've accepted Christ. And after you've accepted Christ, you read another passage. You read the same passage, you read it again, you're like, oh, that's what it means. That's what it is. I didn't catch it before, but the spirit in me has, has caused it to make sense to me. There are many who are outside of Jesus who read the Bible and they're like, I have no idea what it means. And those who are in Christ is different. He says, no, it, it's those who are in Christ, you will understand because God will reveal it to you. Nicodemus was not in Christ. He was not accepting Christ as Savior. He could not understand these things. And God says to him, unless you believe in me, you will never understand. So what does this mean? How, what, what does all this get to? It, one, the fact that um, you must be born again to enter the kingdom. Two, you must be born of water and spirit. Three, you're not smart enough to understand God's business. So what does all this mean? I want to just kind of throw three things at you that I think Christ, that, that Christ is saying through this story to us today at Community Bible Church. Number one, hey, community, being born again is a complete do-over. Hey, community, 
this idea of salvation is not just adding Christ on top of your life and just being like, I'm just going to add him to whatever I'm doing and then I'll be salvation. He says, hey, if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ, you surrender your whole life over to him. It means you put everything in there. It means you turn all of it over and it's being born again. You are made into a new person. It is a complete do-over to which some in this room, practically, when you hear the word do-over, you're like, oh my word, you mean I've wasted 20 years of my life? 20 years of my life that I didn't know Jesus Christ and I was just doing things. Those don't count? In a way, no. In a way, because they were done apart from Jesus Christ. They were done as an enemy against Jesus Christ. Well, that's just rude. Blame him. <laughs> what do you mean I have to do a complete do-over? That means I got to start over from scratch? Yeah. But you do it with the power of Jesus Christ in you. It's, I think we've settled for a Christianity that is just about, it's being nicer, being better. God makes me a better person, whatever that means. He has made you completely new, new affections, new desires, new truths, new ways of understanding scripture. And all of it is better but it's hard when somebody comes to you and says, it's a complete do-over from scratch. You're telling me it's a waste of time. I thought, I trained, I, I did all the good things. I gave up Sundays that I could have slept in and watched football to be here. You're telling me that didn't matter? Welcome. Without Jesus Christ, none of it matters. Hey, community, you have to be born again. It's not about being a better person. It's about surrendering your entire life over to Jesus and trusting him with us, with him with it. Number two, he says, hey, community, being born again is life or death. Hey, community, salvation is not just a prayer you prayed when you were six. And I mean this in love. It was not just this prayer that got you out of heaven or got you out of hell. That's not what he's talking about. Hey, community, this thing of salvation is life or it's death. All of John 3 points here. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He continues on throughout chapter 3. All of chapter 3, by the way, is one big truth. It's amazing. Like, just read 3 as a whole. Because often what we know from 3 is the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We all know that one. We've seen it at football games. We know John 3.16. It's wrapped in this though. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The next verse. He goes on later and talks about John. And John says of Jesus, he must increase. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. And then he wraps up all of John 3 with this in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That wrath of God is huge. They would have known that. It means you are an enemy of God without Jesus in your life. It's not just being better and going to church. It is about a saving relationship with Jesus Christ where you turn all of it over and say, your, your way, not my way. Your life, not my life. And you turn it over to him. New life is starting over from age zero. And here's the thing that I love about this. Starting over means you have very little to do with this. Just as in your own birth, <laughs> I don't want to get graphic or anything, but... Um, you had zero to do 
with your birth, right? There were a couple people in the room that day. You were there, but I'm going to say there was one person doing almost all the work. Well, let's just say all the work, okay? For the husbands in the room, like, I got you ice chips, right? You'll get there. For those who aren't there, you know the demise of that statement, right? You know what's going to come to you. Like, just, my wife's out of town this weekend. That's why I can say these things. Uh, There was one person in the room doing the work, right? You weren't, as a baby, like, if I can just tilt my shoulders a bit and get down and whoop, right? That, That was not part of the equation, Okay. You did nothing. You just screamed out loud and be like, I'm here! And then you just kept screaming and kept screaming and kept screaming. That's all you did was scream, right? You did nothing. But it cost your mom a lot. (laughs) It cost sleepless nights after and all these things. You did nothing. And I think of this when we think of Jesus Christ and he says, being born again, you do nothing you accept the love and the, 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 the plan of Jesus into your life, and you do nothing. You contribute nothing to the plan of Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy and humbling? There's nothing you can do that Jesus is like, oh, thank you so much for doing that. I, could, I don't know what I would have done without you in that one. There's none of that. It's a complete gift of Jesus Christ. This new life is only Jesus Christ and him alone. And as you have this new life, all he's asking you to do to get this new life is look to him. That's all he's asking you to do. We go back to John 3, 14 and 15. And Moses lifted up a servant in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him as many have eternal life. Based out of Numbers 21, there was a story. I'm going to end with this. There was a story in the Old Testament where this serpent that God sent was killing people because it was poisonous and they were all dying. There were many in the camp that couldn't even move because they were that sick and dying. They couldn't make it to the, to the healing that was brought to them. So he makes this staff and he puts this bronze serpent on it. And he says, I'm going to lift up the, ser- the serpent. And as I lift it up, all you have to do is look at it. You don't even have to make your way over to it. You don't even have to go over and take the medicine. All you have to do is look. And, and, and just looking at it will heal you. Now, bring that into Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you've been doing all these things. You've gotten your church attendance down. You haven't cussed like three times maybe this week. Good for you. You, you, you haven't um, said that thing. You haven't lied. You haven't, you know, went behind people's back. You, didn't, you did a really good things this week. That doesn't matter. That's useless. That's not salvation. Salvation is Christ alone for your salvation. It is a free gift offered by Jesus Christ for you, and all you have to do is look to Jesus. That's what he's telling Nicodemus. All you have to do is look. I'm right in front of you. Just look at me. Community Bible Church, he's telling you, all you have to do is look at Jesus and say, I want Jesus. I don't want better behavior and all this stuff that I'm having to do lists and I want Jesus. I just want to look at Jesus because he's worthy of it, right? That's all you have to do. Because in our sin and in our mess that we are in, we're not capable of doing anything else but just looking up and saying, save me. And he comes and he saves us. That's the key here. He's saying, community, just look 
to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't make it about moral perfectionism. I want you to say, that doesn't matter. All this is about Jesus and Jesus alone. We're going to close in a different way um, than maybe we planned, and I haven't told Rich this, so hopefully it'll work. Um, but as we were, we were singing this, this morning, I think we, we sing songs, but I think it's more impactful sometimes in a song where we hear the truth of Scripture, and then we can put that into the lyrics. And so I just want to sing out kind of as we close this morning. I want us to remind ourselves to just look to Jesus for salvation. Maybe for you this morning, you've never done that. You've never put your full weight into Jesus Christ. You've done a lot of good things. You've done a lot of church things. You've done a lot of godly-ish things, but you've never said, God, my whole life is yours. I'm gonna turn everything over to you because I need a complete do-over. All of it's yours. This morning, if that's you during the song, I would love to talk to you what that means to completely put your life into Christ. For those who have, I'm going to pray that during this song, he, he just stirs up in you a new affection for him, a new desire for him, a new way of looking at him to saying, just Jesus is all I need. Just him. So I'm going to close, I'm going to close in prayer, and I want us just to sing out together. Um, if you don't mind, could we do Worthy of Your Name to close out? Um, we've done it once already, but I want to just kind of remind ourselves of who we serve this morning and put our affection back into Jesus Christ this morning. So let me pray for us as we close. God, I thank you so much this morning for truth like this. John chapter 3 for all of us is crucial. That it's about looking to Christ because we have no ability to do the saving of ourselves in ourselves. The only way we gain salvation is through you. The only hope we have is you. So, Father, as we sing out these words that you are worthy, that your name is what it is, God, I love it that it tells your story. It's your story of redemption. It's your story of the cross. It's your story of bringing us into a relationship with you. And because of that, we say you are worthy of all the praise. Father, for those in the room this morning who may not have put their faith into you, they just kind of want to do their thing, I pray that today you'd break them of that, that you would say, no, I want to do over. I want to make your life completely new not just better, new. For the students in the room who maybe they've never put their weight into Jesus. They've they've been to youth group, they've been to school, they get it, they know. But they've never surrendered their life to you. For those fifth graders, elementary, middle school, all those kids that are here in the room, God, I pray that today, this will be their day. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to turn it over to him. God, I pray today that we would remember how good and faithful you are to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.